Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. As we begin the new year, Pastor Josh gives us instruction on what we should be focusing on and the importance of not wasting our lives. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 as Pastor Josh delivers his sermon titled, The Story of the Cosmos. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll make our way to this passage in just a bit here. I'm going to pray here. Um, in just a second. We are going to read scripture, of course. We're just going to get to it here in just a bit. I want to say a little bit kind of leading up before we read this. Um, So if you will, please bow, bow with me. Let me ask for God's help and then we'll get started. God of glory, sovereign ruler over all, You are the one who spoke all of the cosmos into existence. You are the one who set the stars in the sky, the millions and millions of light years spread out over this universe farther than what we can see, know, or understand. You're the one we come to in worship. You're the God over all. And Father, we come to you um, as a people, your sons and daughters, Only because you have opened our eyes, only because you've called us, you've enabled, you've empowered, you've helped us to come and see things. And God, we come to you in worship. Father, what we beg is that right now, as we come to your word, and just, just especially what we're going to see this morning and the big eternal cosmic truths that you show us in this passage, God, I, I pray that as we come to you, Father, we'll be drawn into a deeper worship than we've ever known. The gratitude of our hearts will be stirred hotter. Our love for you greater, just every part of our soul's affections for you would be stirred to a greater capacity than we've ever known, oh God. Father, I also pray for those um, who are here that have not yet come to Christ not yet for that first time entered into relationship with you, received forgiveness of sins, have not come to you in the way that you call us to, turning away from our rebellion and trusting in Christ. God, I pray that this would be the day that that happens for some who are hearing this, Lord. Um, Please be at work. Father, I, I, I can only assume and think from the many ways that there have been distractions and difficulties this morning that the enemy wants to ruin what's going to happen here. And I just pray that God, you'll protect our service. You'll bless our minds to be able to pay attention, focus, think, to lean in and go deep in your truth. And God, that you will work miracles in us to see things we've never seen, be stirred to worship, oh God. Lord, in my job to do here in preaching, please protect me and help me to do it and be useful Bless us, O Lord, glorify your name. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Um, Those who study uh, depression in America tell us that there are various times of the year where there are sort of peak times of darkness. Um, For those who have lost loved ones close to them, um, that season right before Christmas, is actually a time of darkness. For many others, um, the season post-Christmas, this week right here, is 
a time of darkness for many, and, and at least according to one study I encountered. And some of the reasons that were given is you got this whole anticipation of build up and build up and you know, parents subtly, subconsciously believing those lies of the TV commercials, that if I give the right gift to my kids, it's gonna bring fulfillment and meaning to their lives. And there's just all of this build up and then, you know, nothing of earth can give you your ultimate. And so there's that disappointment and this post-holiday depression that kind of sets in. But then we're also told that because of the kind of the quick rebound of the new years, that brings a fresh excitement, a fresh hope. And especially among those who do not have their eyes fixed on everlasting life, but are fixed here and looking for the ultimate here. The new year is kind of that time of declaring, this is going to be the year where I get my life in order. I'm going to lose that weight. I'm going to fix my finances. I'm going to get my relationships in order. And then there is this belief that then, then I'm really going to be happy. I'm finally going to be satisfied. Finally going to have it all together. And we're told that one of the peak and maybe the peak time of depression out of the entire year is actually late February, early March-ish when all of the New Year's resolutions have failed. We sometimes joke at the local YMCA here, we don't even want to go in January, but we joke we'll get our Y back in March when everybody quits. And there is this sort of setting in of the realization that all of these ways that people put their hope in some earthly answer, it fails them, they're depressed, it's going to be another year without this thing they believe will give them their ultimate satisfaction. Well, in light of that, I want to call us to something better, something bigger, and something infinitely more satisfying. I love the turn of the new year. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us to do New Year's resolutions. But there is a lot in the Bible that tells us to do resolutions and goals and intentions and even vows, um, though I would caution, if you're going to make a vow, be, you be ready to keep it unto death. That's biblical language. Don't you make a vow unless you intend to die and bleed in the keeping of that vow. But there is the setting of vows that is still a new covenant way that we worship and the setting of resolutions and such. And we've been making it a practice here for about the last decade that every turn of the new year, we refix our eyes on it. And by it, I mean the thing, the reason, the logos, the purpose of all things, the meaning and reason why you were created and then what that means for how we live. At the turn of the new year, year after year, we keep coming back to some of these places in the scripture where God shows us the big picture of what's happening in the cosmos and then calling us into it. We'll look at places like Romans 14, where God says, where scripture tells us that not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We look at Isaiah, where God tells us that he created us for his glory. Exodus 20, where we're told that God is jealous 
for his glory, that God is jealous over us, that we would spend our lives magnifying, glorifying his name. Those verses, at least 50 other places like it, where God shows us the purpose for which we were made. Like the uh, Westminster Catechism, which I think we quote every single new year. And that makes me very happy. I think I'm going to get a big t-shirt that says this statement on it. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Every time I hear that phrase, I smile and I'm just stirred again. That quote is not a, a statement from scripture. It's a summarization of scripture. And if you take that statement and combine it with a phrase from scripture, like in 1 Corinthians 9, all things for the sake of the gospel, or 2 Corinthians 4, where God says that he is displaying his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. You take those couple few statements together and you have something that summarizes, well, you know, there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. You combine those statements and that is a summarization of all 1,189 chapters of the Bible. If you understand those two, you understand what we believe is the heart of the Bible. And the heart of the Bible is the heart of God. And it is to be what makes us tick. And friends, we need to be called and recalled. Have our eyes fixed and then refixed to this one meaning, this one thing. God calls you to one pure and holy passion and your enemy's great goal in your life is always to try to distract you from it. God calls you to fix your eyes on one treasure, one thing. I live for this and all of our affections to be solely fixed in this. And Satan's big goal in our lives is to then divide those affections into a dozen other shiny things of the earth. And so we need scripture to call us back again and again. It's a, it's a difficult thing to maintain focus and energetic zeal all the time. Like it's, it's a very hard thing for us in our fallen state to every single morning wake up with our eyes fully fixed on what I'm supposed to be doing and then live with an energetic kind of zeal and passion for this one meeting. And that's why as we read through the Bible, God is constantly in many different ways saying it in different, uh, different ways and different pictures and metaphors that help call us again and again and again to the one one purpose. And so we've kind of made it a commitment here that every turn of the new year, we will do this. By the way, in our study through the book of Romans, which is where we are after we finish this brief series here, there is maybe no other book in the scriptures that calls us more to this one meaning and purpose. So we will be seeing much of this. But this morning, I want to take us over to Ephesians 1. And kind of what I want to do is show you a very quick overview of the message of this chapter. We won't be able to see everything, but do want us to see the big picture and then just sort of cast a kind of open-ended application to us in fulfillment of this one great purpose. So if you'll join with, join with me in Ephesians 1, we're going to read here in just a moment. If you will understand Ephesians 1, 
then you understand the purpose and meaning of the cosmos. There are other chapters of the Bible we could say that about. This is just one of them. Um, not long ago in Romans, we came to this passage uh, to make a point. So we're, there could be a little bit of overlap in some of that, but we're going to go further into this. But as you look at Ephesians 1 to try to help give a little bit of outline to it, um, divides up nicely into two parts. But here's what I want you to watch for. We're going to read the first part here, verses 1 through 14. Make up the first part, but there's a lot going on. And when there's a lot going on, the very first time you read something, it's kind of hard to keep it all in your head, uh, which is why when you're studying a passage, if you're preparing a lesson, I think the most helpful thing you could do, very first action is read the text five times, write in a roll. There's a lot going on here. So let me, let me point out a little bit. Here's what you watch for as we do this, as we read through this. God moves Paul inspires Paul by the Holy Spirit to move this, uh, to, to write this passage of scripture, but he's worshiping. He's moved by God to worship as he's writing it. So, you know, similar to David in the Psalms, when we would see uh, many of those Psalms, David rejoicing, he's being moved by God to worship. So he's having a worship experience greater than the normal worship experience. And what flows out is divinely inspired and exactly what God wants us to see. Paul is having a similar moment here. He breaks forth in 14 verses here that many consider the longest sentence of the Bible. 14 verses of just not stopping Whole lot of commas and semicolons. Our English translations put some periods in there, okay? But just in the original, it would have been just like, just, just bursting out praise, moved by the Holy Spirit. And he recalls many of the great eternal, rich, full, unshakable, better than gold gifts we have been given in Christ so that we, the reader, as we're reading it, we're getting revved up, just stirred to a fiery worship by the time that we're done. And then he shows us why, why God has done these things. And it is both of these that bring us into the meaning and purpose of all things. So watch for that. Let's read it. Starting in verse one, Ephesians one, beginning in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now he's about to list seven of those blessings, seven of those gifts. Verse four, just as he chose us, in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. 
with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That's complicated sounding language, but what he just simply means is, is this. The plan of God was to reveal his purpose in all of this. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. All right, there's a lot going on. Let me kind of give the Spark Notes version there of a bit of an overview. Paul can see and he is worshiping and he is helping us to see these eternal realities. And so he lists off seven works of God in the Christian's life. Friends, every one of them so valuable. If you were offered the entirety of the universe, you would get to own it, to trade it for this. You would be a fool. Every single one of them. Um, he, he, here are the, the seven gifts he, he lists out. Number one, he chose us or predestined us to salvation. Number two, he has adopted us as sons and daughters. Number three, we have redemption. Number four, the forgiveness of our sins, our trespasses. Number five, he's made known to us the mystery of his will. Number six, we have a coming inheritance. And number seven, we have been sealed. I saw some smoke coming off of some pins as you were trying to write that. If you want those afterwards, I'll give them to you there. But all of these can kind of be summed up by saying this. God has worked in Christ to deliver us out of unimaginable misery and to bring us into unimaginable joy in Christ. But God also makes a point that we see this. These things didn't just happen. This did not come about because of you or I. These things have come about by the sovereign grace of God. You Christians, so I'm speaking to you if you are sons and daughters, you are in Christ. If you have heard the call of God to come and be saved, you have believed on Christ, you have turned to him. If that is you, you are not saved because of you. God, Christian, God chose you when you were uncreated. God drew you in your life when you were uninterested. God saved you when you were unworthy, when you and I were undeserving and unable. You're saved because of God, not yourself. Listen to me. God did not just look down through the tunnels of time and see what was going to happen. God grabbed you, set his love on you when you were only a thought in his infinite mind. You were not saved because you were worthy. You have been saved for the sheer pleasure of God. Friends, that moves us to a new level of worship. 
That moves us to a new level of feeling the weight of what it is God has done. So God wants us to make sure we see that. Here's a third point in this. All of this has specifically been done in Christ. It's Christ. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's, it's Jesus to those who see and feel these truths. God wants us to come to a new and deeper level of worship, specifically understanding that it is Christ and rejoicing in him. And, and friends, it's so specific that we get this. Um, God does not want us simply carrying on in our worship and speaking, only vaguely saying, I love God. I want to know God, I worship God. Now, of course, don't come out of here saying, well, pastor says we're not allowed to say that. No, no, no. Of course we are to say that. We want to know God. But God the Father has worked specifically so that we will know his son, that we will rejoice in Christ. God has specifically worked all of history and all of the cosmos for the ultimate exaltation of the name of his son so that we would glory in Christ. And there's so much language of the New Testament that specifically says it like this. This is not an obscure point, friends. This isn't like trying to pick a, a little minute detail for the super Christian. This is repeated over and over again. One, one of the things spoken in Ephesians 4, a passage we go to often where God uh, shows us the vision for the church, the great goal and the great purpose of the church. One of the ways he kind of sums up that passage is when he says that God is working all of this so that his people will come to the full knowledge of his son. And so all of these things are spoken. And then here's one, here's one last point that is in this section here. In this section, God, he gives the so that. The so that. Why has God done this? Christian, why are you saved? Why did God save you? That's a pretty significant question. If you listen to a lot of the songs on Christian radio, you may come to a conclusion that is not biblical. A lot of the language that sometimes gets sung and said out there is you'll hear this kind of language along the lines of God saved me because he considered me so worthy. Like in other words, I'm saved because God valued me and wanted to, to have me. I, I want to say this gentler than I could. This is one of the largest dump truck loads full of stank you will ever smell. <laughs> Friends, that is the exact opposite conclusion that this and many other passages seek to bring us and to show us these things. If it were the case that God saved us because of intrinsic worth and value in us, think about how different our hymns would be. Think about what we would sing on Sunday mornings. We would need some hymn where we put our shoulders back and our neck upright and we sing something like, God, good job recognizing my worth. But that's not the message of scripture. 
The message of scripture constantly, when all these passages go, the biblical writers, you just picture them weeping tears of joy and gratitude on their faces. God, I'm not worthy. Why did you save me? There's nothing in me that's righteous. There's nothing in me that deserves this. I'm unclean before you. I'm unfit. Why have you come to me? And this text gives an answer. Three times it's spoken. God did not save you and I, Christian, because of intrinsic worth. God has saved us for the display of his glory. And so that we in response, having been saved in our unworth, would praise him for his mercy. Christian, you and I are being given a capacity for worship that is greater than we ever would have had if our lives had been easy. More on that in a bit. But now here's the the second half of the chapter. So we're going to pick up in verse 15 and we're going to read here in just a second. But let me tell you what to look for again in this section here. Paul is under inspiration and telling these believers that he prays for them and that he prays these kinds of things for all Christians. And so there is a bit of, there is a bit of very practical application here. That's just kind of a side note. Um, When we pray, what kinds of things should we be asking from God? Okay. Well, scripture shows us what to ask. And, And it is a very profound question to then, to then ask this of the text. We should always be asking questions when we're reading the Bible, asking questions, why this, how this, what does this show me? Here's a really profound question to ask of the text. Why should I be asking for these things as opposed to all the things that we kind of naturally want to pray for. You, you and I know the kinds of things we naturally want to pray for. We naturally want to pray for the things that make our lives nicer, more comfortable. And God is constantly showing us different things to pray for. So why should we? The answer to that brings us to the meaning of life. So here is what he prays. So start in verse 15 with me and I'll kind of walk us through the text. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Then he begins to say what he prays for. Verses 17, 18, and 19, first part of 19, are what he prays. Then at the end of verse 19, it's, it's not, no longer what he prays for, but he starts preaching starts preaching why, starts preaching why these are the things he prays for and these are the things that God most wants done in us. So verse verse 17, here's what's prayed. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. He prays this, now he's gonna break into the why he preaches the glory of Christ. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about 
in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is what God wants for every Christian. God's desire in your life, and when you read John 17 and other places where Jesus is praying for believers, these are the kinds of things he's praying. These, this is the main agenda. God's great agenda in your life is not your best life now, but your best life in eternity your everlasting joy, but we will not understand that statement unless we understand what brings our everlasting joy. What is prayed here is that we would get it. And by the it, we mean a couple of things here. God wants you to see the riches, the riches the treasure of what you get in Christ. There's one truth. And then here's the second truth right beside it. He also wants you to see that it is all about Christ. Those are the two main big points of this section right here. God wants you and I, Christian, to behold and be in wonder of what we get in Christ and to see it's all about the name of Jesus being exalted. God the Father has worked to bring the name of Jesus lifted to the highest possible place. It is all about Christ. And when you get him, look at all that you receive. Look at your inheritance. God wants you to know Christ and the beauty of Christ. He wants us to see it. He wants us to feel it. He wants it to move us. He wants it to stir us. He wants it to drive us to our knees because th th there's a principle here. The more we come to see and know the riches of what we have in Christ and the glory of Christ and the beauty of Christ, the more we will be moved to devote every part of our lives to him. Th that's a pretty big principle there. And it's, it's kind of a little bit of a side note, but I, I want to make sure I tie it in. Do, do you see why when God instructs the church on what we are to do, our actions, the study of the scriptures is always the starting point? Like what we're doing right now, this is not all of Christianity. Go out those doors when we're done and go do the scriptures. That's what we're called to. But do you see why the scriptures are always the starting point? It's the starting point because of this. As we increasingly see, as we increasingly see the glory of what we have in Christ, we will increasingly feel the wonder over it. Your zeal, your worship, your love for God 
will be in proportion to how much you see the glory of Christ and the glory of the riches of Christ, what we get in him. As we grow, as we go deeper in seeing, as we understand more and more your zeal, your worship, your love, your excitement over the gospel, your desire to be pleasing to God, to be holy, is going to grow and grow and grow. This is God's purpose. This is why he wants us to see these things. It is the starting point of everything else he wants to bring about. Let me herald just a little bit more here. God has designed this universe, the entirety of the cosmos, both physical and spiritual, for the exaltation of his son so that the name of Jesus will be lifted to the highest place so that you and I will feel the maximum love and affection for Christ that it is possible to have. God could have arranged the cosmos in history in different ways than what he's done. Friends, God could have worked history and this cosmos in such a way that sin would have never entered this world and the chaos, the pain, the suffering that we know right now, it could have all been prevented. And this gets into the whole discussion of what all did God arrange and ordain and what all did he allow. I I believe scripture shows a design of his sovereignty that all has been ordained and arranged. And so it's a question that millions of people have asked, why did God allow it or cause it or whatever this way? Why didn't God stop Adam in the garden? Why allow all of this? We're told the answer, friends. I believe there are multiple answers, but we're told one of the big ones right here. The suffering that you endure right now is making your future gratitude greater. You are being given a capacity for worship and love for God that will be greater than it ever would have been had we never had the difficulties you and I now know. The pain you are enduring right now is making your joy greater in the age to come. Rest is sweeter after work. Gladness is precious after you've come out of sorrow. Satisfaction is beautiful when you have come out of want. And God is working to give you supreme joy. God is working for your everlasting supreme joy. I don't know about you, just saying that statement gives me chills and just makes me rejoice. God is more committed to your joy than you have ever thought about being committed to your joy. But God is not committed to your momentary happiness. In in fact, to show you even more beauty, When God addresses gospel workers in scripture, like pastors, like missionaries, do you you know one of the ways he describes our work? And it's not just in one place. It's scattered in, 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 I'll bet, a dozen places throughout the New Testament. Gospel workers, we are told, my job is your joy. You're going to go to the nations with the gospel. Your job is the joy, the everlasting joy of the nations. That's why God sends us out with the gospel. My job is your everlasting joy as a worker 
as a servant of God. My job is not your momentary happiness. If it was, my preaching would be a lot different. I would tell you delicious sounding lies. But instead, the preaching that God calls for is is hard and it challenges and it steps on toes. Why? Because your everlasting joy will be sweeter in proportion to how far into godliness and holiness and how much service, how much fruit is there on the day of judgment. All that was a little bit of a side note, rabbit trail. But all that is to say, God has worked so that you have an inheritance of joy that is coming to you that is unimaginably strong and big. I hope that encourages you. And there are some passages that just primarily say that, but do you see that this passage takes us even one step further into depth? And it is critical that we see this next step because if we stopped right there and we just went home with me saying, God is working for your everlasting joy, there are some things that would be great inside of your heart, but there's an error we would be prone to. It is the terrible error that thinks that God's existence is about me and centered on me and it is not. My existence is about him. The great aim of the cosmos is not about you. It is about him and the exaltation of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is giving you the greatest possible joy and he has precisely done it when you and I were unworthy and undeserving so that, here's the big point, you get this and you understand the purpose of the cosmos, so that knowing all of this goodness has been purchased by the blood of Christ, you would look to Christ with a gratitude that is greater than any other gratitude. Knowing what God has done through his son will make your love for him so full, so bursting. You'll spend now and eternity in worship. God has arranged all of the cosmos to bow under the feet of his son the animate objects and the inanimate objects, the physical and the spiritual, those of us who love him and those who hate him will bow and the name of Jesus will be exalted to the highest place. All the cosmos is about this. Why do you have air? Why do you have life? You have life and you have air because you are a part of the big story of the cosmos. The great point of the cosmos is the glory of God revealed through Christ by the help of the Holy Spirit. That's how you sum up the universe. And you're a part of it. You're not the main character. You're a supporting role to the great character, to Christ. You were created for the glory of God. You and I were created for the same reason that every dust particle, every molecule, neutron, planet, star in the universe was created for the glory of Jesus Christ. We have the same purpose, but we live in one corner of the universe where there has been a rebellion against that purpose. Friends, make make no mistake when we are shown these things, the stars in the sky, the planets, the galaxies, the dust particles all serve the glory of God, there is only fallen men and fallen angels who rebel against that purpose. 
the redemption we have in Christ is yes about future glory. And it is yes about the future joy that God has, but it is also about you and I being brought back now to be restored to the purpose for which we were made. And your greatest joy will come in the living of your purpose. Now, from this point, if I said no word of application whatsoever, there is still intrinsic application. Because all this shapes how we think. The the way you see the world and what you believe the point and the purpose is, it's all forming things. and, And there will be application even if you don't try. But if we try, there will be more. You know, God has wired us up that we want to know the story. Where did I come from? Where am I going? What's the point? What, what, what's, what's the reason behind all this? What is the big cosmic story? And when we know it, there are ways that it grips and shapes our attitude and our thinking. But there is application that scripture calls us to from this. If this is the point of the cosmos, then let's lean in. Let's live in harmony with it. Let's join in the song that is being sung. There's kind of this metaphor that runs through scripture. Apart from Christ in our sin, we are out of step with the harmony of the cosmos. The sun, the moon, the stars, the angels, the planets, they're all singing a song of worship and they are in tune with one another. And in our sin, we're screeching on a violin. Redemption is about us coming to join in the harmony that the rest of the cosmos is singing to become a part once again of the meaning and the point of all things. The call of Jesus is to come back into the heart of the reason why all things exist. He invites you to the one purpose that truly matters. There is a life indeed that he calls us to. There is a full and adventurous and satisfying and hard life that he calls you into. But we live it by abandoning every other purpose and coming to this one great endeavor, refusing to waste our lives by playing in other things, but joining in the one great purpose. Friends, just try and imagine on the day of judgment, just, just suppose if I, if you were to waste our lives doing what everybody else does the routine of work and money and buying stuff. Just a life devoted to the earthly existence here. We will come to that day and we will see that all the planets, all the stars, all of the cosmos was designed for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And there were those who engaged. There were missionaries going to hard places. There were believers suffering and enduring day after day for the glory of Christ. And then we show up and we played. What a waste. This is the great purpose of the cosmos. We're called join in. Let's abandon every other fruitless pursuit and join the one that matters, the one pure and holy passion. Here's how scripture says it in Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Think about what he just said there. 
in view of all that we have seen, when we see and we feel all that we have looked at, God's work of mercy to us, it does something. It's supposed to stir something of, I want to worship him. I want to thank him. I want to express somehow devotion that's worthy to what he's given me. What does God want? Does he want a bunch of money? Does he want church attendance on one day of the week and then the rest of it we live however we want? What does God want? Here's how the verse goes. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What does God want? As our offering of gratitude, as our worship, the greatest act of worship that you can give to him is to make your every act in obedience to him, to devote the entirety of your existence to his glory. That's why all things exist. Redemption brings us back into the reason we were made. Every Christian is called to this. We're saved out of something and we're saved into something. What we're saved into is this restoration back to our purpose. But hear me carefully. Not every Christian will give an equal effort in the pursuit of these things. Not every Christian will give equal intensity to the pursuit of godliness and to the work of service. At the start of this new year, I want to call you to abandon all distracting divisions of your affections and to come run the race and not walk. To come give effort like we believe this is the great meaning of the cosmos and he is worth it. So let me kind of pose a bit of an open-ended application for you to consider. What are you going to do in 2019 that is going to bring you deeper into the heart of God's purpose? What are you, what are you going to give in effort to kill sin? What commands have you been ignoring? What area of your life needs reoriented? What are you specifically going to do this year to grow in the knowledge of Christ? Here's what I want to ask. I want to ask you to consider in this year, what will, how will you discipline yourself? What areas of sin, what areas of obedience are you going to get specific and intentional about going after in order to come deeper into the heart of the great purpose and plan of the cosmos. Let me close this in prayer. Our Father in heaven, glorify your name. Hallow your name to the ends of the earth. And we pray, God, hallow your name to us and in us. God, that we will see you for who you are. Father, I, I, I pray that you show us more. Bring us deeper into the knowledge of Christ and amaze us. Stir us. God, I pray that this will be a year of great effort given. 
Great effort given in the killing of sin, great effort given in striving to obedience, great effort given in pursuit of holiness, great effort given in the work of the gospel. Use this church family. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Josh LaGrange's sermon titled, The Story of the Cosmos. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.